Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 27 of Attitude Check. Today we are so honored to have Mayor Southers as our guest. And as you will hear more in this episode, Mayor Southers has a vast wealth of experience and knowledge when it comes to law as well as politics. Um, so it's just a really interesting conversation. We're really thankful that he took the time to be here. He's really helped lead Colorado Springs through a transition time and helped change the culture and make it significantly better. He's attracted a lot of young people to Colorado Springs. And it's it's interesting seeing the shift um, from Colorado Springs being primarily 100% conservative to being somewhere closer in the middle. Um, so he's really helped drive Colorado Springs forward. Before we dive into this episode with Mayor Southers, Brent, tell us something new. So I actually have a recommendation on another podcast episode that I've actually uh, replayed and re-listened to a couple of times now. And the uh, podcast is The Future. Um, that's F-U-T-U-R without the E at the end. Um, and they have an episode with this gentleman named Errol Gerson. And he has a background in accounting and working some larger um, agencies with different bands and things like that. But the podcast is entitled Contagious Selling. And it was just really fascinating to me on a side where you look at things in a different perspective. So most people are terrified of sales or they think, you know, it's negative or scummy. Um, but in life, you sell different things, whether that's a product or service or just ideas and things that you care about. You're, you're selling in some aspects. So just being able to reframe things outside of the scope where you normally perceive it, I think is really valuable. And overall, it's just really fun to listen to his stories on how he solved uh, different challenges in his career, how he landed different sales and accounts with large uh, corporations or rock bands and things like that, and how you can apply that to your own life to reframe things and have a more positive attitude on them. I do love listening to other podcasts and hearing other people's stories because, like you said, everyone has a vast wealth of knowledge and something in particular. Uh, the best people niche down into something that they're really good at, and they go wholeheartedly after it. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Mayor Southers. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community, effect change, and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today, we are so excited to have the mayor of Colorado Springs as our guest. Mayor Southers has been the mayor for four and a half years and has seen Colorado Springs through some pretty significant cultural shifts and just shifts in the, the city in general. So, Mayor Southers, welcome, and we're glad to have you. Glad to be with you. Appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So, like always, we like to start off the podcast with a general icebreaker question. And today, the question we have for you is, um, generally, when you hear people talking about the 1%, they're referencing money. But if you could be the 1% of any group or category that you wanted to, uh, what would you choose and why? I'd want to be in the 1% of the best uh, professional baseball players in America. Uh, I, like a lot of kids, grew up. I was obsessed with baseball. I uh, would have loved to have been a, a professional baseball player, but my arm went south about my senior year in high school, and so I got stuck doing other things. <laughs> 
So was that in the cards for you to try and be a baseball player through all your collegiate career and then move on to the pros? Well, it really, I wasn't that good. I uh, was uh, an all-city second baseman uh, here in Colorado Springs at uh, St. Mary's High School. But the only college offer I had to play uh, baseball was at, I think it was Emporia State in Kansas. And seeing as I had uh, full-ride scholarships to places like Notre Dame academically, uh, that didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. So, <laughs> so it wasn't too hard of a, a choice there. It was not a, not a difficult choice at all. <laughs> on, uh, on the last topic for baseball, so who's your uh, favorite team then? Well, uh, it's the Rockies, of course, but uh, until <laughs> the Rockies uh, came about in, I think, 1992, it was always the Detroit Tigers. My mother was born and raised in Detroit, and we would go back there, uh, and my uncle would always take me to Detroit Tigers games. And if you want to ask me what one of the best days of my life was, it was on a July 4th when I was 10 years old, and he took me to a doubleheader between the New York Yankees and the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I remember it very well, believe it or not. Uh, there was a pitcher for the Tigers called uh, Frank Larry, whose nickname was the, Tiger, uh, the Yankee Killer because he had so much <laughs> success against the Yankees. He pitched the first game. The Tigers won. They lost the second game. At that point in July, the race was real close, but, uh, you know, the, the uh, Yankees had Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantle, you name it, and they pulled away in September and won the pennant. So that must have been a real exciting experience for you as a as a young boy, and I mean, obviously, it's stuck in your memory quite a bit. Absolutely, I uh, I've obviously haven't forgotten it. So, Mayor Southers, you have a lot of history in terms of where you've been in Colorado, the things that you've done. Uh, so, could you give us like a an overview of where you started out and how you got to where you're at? <laughs> an overview of my life, in other <laughs> words, yeah. Uh, I've been a very fortunate individual. I was uh, born out of wedlock uh, to a woman from Ohio who was sent by her family out to Colorado to uh, have her baby. That's what she did in 1951. And I was adopted uh, by a couple from Colorado Springs uh, through Catholic Charities uh, in Denver uh, when I was three weeks old. Um, My parents, uh, Pat and Bill Southers, uh, uh, had lived in Detroit and on the day after Pearl Harbor, uh, my father had enlisted, uh, even though he's 34 years old and would not have been drafted. And he got uh, a notice in January of 1942 to report to a brand new army base called Camp Carson. He'd never been west of the Mississippi. And he came out on a troop train from Chicago, got off at the Rio Grande Railroad station on, uh, on Sierra Madre, uh, went out to Carson. Uh, they didn't know it at the time, but they were uh, preparing for the invasion of uh, North Africa that didn't happen until about November of 42. He called my mom and said, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. You ought to come out and uh, visit. And so she did, and uh, she stayed at the uh, Buffalo Lodge in Manitou Springs, which, believe it or not, is still there. <laughs> and they made a, a pact that if he survived the war, uh, they'd moved to Colorado Springs. And uh, in 1946, they did that. I still have the phone book. My father was a dentist, and he was the seventh dentist in Colorado Springs in 1946. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents uh, unfortunately died when I was fairly young. My father when I was 15, my mother when I was 23. But they certainly gave me a great 
uh, you know, basis. Uh, I was uh, well prepared for life in terms of values and things like that. Got a couple of really good breaks. I got a full scholarship to the University of Notre Dame from a foundation called the Zimmerman Foundation. I'm deeply indebted to them. Uh, I got a scholarship to the University of Colorado Law School. Uh, loved uh, Colorado Springs. Always wanted to live in Colorado Springs. Continued to live in Colorado Springs. So I uh, came back here after law school. Uh, started at the, uh, well, actually in law school, I met uh, my wife Janet uh, on a blind date. I like to, <laughs> I like to say she was the one that was blind. Uh, and we got married a year later. Uh, and uh, when I was uh, just before my third year in law uh, school. And we moved back to Carroll Springs after uh, law school. She went to work for Hewlett Packard. I went to work for the district attorney's office. Uh, spent a little less than four years at the DA's office at that po- uh, point. Went into private practice for 10 years. Uh, then uh, ran and got elected district attorney and served two terms as district attorney. Uh, returned to private practice for a couple years. Uh, wound up being appointed the uh executive director of the Colorado Department of Corrections, which is actually based in Colorado Springs. It's the only state cabinet department not based in in Denver. Uh, Did that for three years and learned an awful lot about managing large organizations. Uh, Then I was appointed by President George W. Bush as the uh, uh, United States Attorney for Colorado, and I took the job a week before uh, the uh, 9-11 uh, and that turned the job into a very fascinating uh, four years where I uh, uh, was actually, you know, in charge of all the anti-terrorism activities in uh, Colorado. Also had some uh, very, very interesting um, white-collar cases, including taking on the executives of Quest, a Fortune 500 company at the time. Mm. And um, after the, uh uh, four years into that, uh, Governor Owens, who I'd worked for when I was um, uh, Director of Corrections, uh, the Attorney General for the state at the time, Ken Salazar, had been elected to the United States Senate uh, in November of 2004, so Owens had to appoint someone to finish out his last two years. And uh, he asked me if he could nominate me. Uh, it was kind of tricky at the time because the uh, Democrats had taken over the state Senate, and any nominee would have to be approved, and he uh, thought that I had a pretty good chance of being uh, confirmed. Uh, so uh, my long-suffering wife once again agreed to a significant cut in pay, uh, and I did. Uh, I was nominated and confirmed as Colorado Attorney General. Wound up doing that for 10 years, got elected twice uh, to the position in 2006 and 2010, uh, and then uh, after 10 years as Colorado Attorney General, frankly, I was of a mind to practice law in Colorado Springs, probably associated with a national or a regional law firm. But uh, Colorado Springs had gone to a, a strong mayor form of government in uh, 2011. And uh, frankly, the um, first four years have been a pretty rough patch. Uh, my predecessor, Steve Bach, uh, very smart guy, uh, like you know, loved Colorado Springs. He had no political experience, and uh, uh, the relationship between the mayor's office and uh, city council was not good. We simply were not addressing major issues like infrastructure, job creation, and things like that. Uh, so, frankly, uh, a bunch of my uh, friends, a lot of them in the business community here, 
uh, convinced me to run for mayor in uh, uh, 2015, and there's always a danger when you run for something you might win. Uh, <laughs> and so I got elected uh, mayor and uh, feel very good about uh, the last four and a half years. Um, uh, you know, I, th I thought I could make a difference, but frankly, uh, the amount of progress that Colorado Springs has made in the last four and a half years uh, has surprised me. Um, it took uh, our ability to convince the voters uh, to invest in infrastructure, uh, critical public infrastructure. That public investment has been uh, had a, a corresponding massive private investment that has really uh, um, set Cairo Springs uh, off on a real uh, a real ride. That's kind of uh, fun to go through right now. So that brings us up to date. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's definitely just a wealth of experience right there. And kind of starting from the beginning, um, what made you decide to go into law? And as you're heading into law, did you always see yourself uh, moving into the public arena or did you see yourself more the private sector? Great qu question. I, I like to say the only career advice I ever had was from uh, the principal of my Catholic grade school here in Colorado Springs when I was in sixth grade. I was in a debate with the seventh grade. There was three on each team. I mean, I can't remember what the debate uh, was, but the sixth grade team won. And the principal, uh, Sister John Catherine, came up to me afterwards and said, you know, John, uh, you ought, really ought to be a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> you really like to argue. And uh, I just, you know, went home that night and asked my parents, you know, what exactly do lawyers do? Uh, none, there's no lawyers in my family or anything like that. And uh, quite frankly, uh, as I say, that's about the only uh, career advice I ever had. But I did, <laughs> uh, I did notice that I uh, did well in debate. Uh, I wrote well. And I thought, uh, you know, legal advocacy uh, might be a strength. <clears throat> I did well at Notre Dame and got into a couple of uh, good law schools, decided for economic reasons and, and the fact I wanted to practice in Colorado Springs uh, to go to the University of Colorado. But I really think, you know, growing up, um, uh, I never, you know, I was like any other little kid. I wanted to be a baseball player or a <laughs> fireman. Um, I didn't, you know, I said, oh, I want to be attorney general of Colorado. No. Uh, but I, I did, particularly when my father died when I was 15, that was clearly the most traumatic event in my life. And I, uh, you know, came to grips with mortality at a young age, which a lot of young people don't. And I really started thinking about uh, what gives meaning and purpose in life. And um, I just I wanted to do something meaningful and purposeful. I didn't say anything in particular. And I think my attitude, whatever job I was in, I was going to do the best I could at it, and then that would lead to other opportunities. And that's exactly what happened. I had a great attitude even when I was mowing lawns in the summer. That was a good place to be where I was when I was there. I did well at it. That led to other opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I uh, went became a deputy district attorney. I did really well as that. I was a good trial lawyer. I uh, got really good offers uh, to go into private practice. I did very well. Uh, that be the, my clients became kind of a financial base and an outreach base to run for district attorney. Um, my uh, performance there caused uh, Governor Bill Owens to say, you know, I'd love to have you run the Department of Corrections. Uh, I had obviously a, a 
uh, just so happens this is a good lesson in relationships. Uh, you never know how things are going to develop. Uh, uh, Owens became a fan of mine, and guess what? Uh, he grew up in uh, Young Republicans in Dallas-Fort Worth with a guy by the name of George W. Bush. And so when Bush uh, got elected president of the United States, he called Bill Owens and said, who should be the U.S. attorney for Colorado? And Bill Owens said, John Southers. Uh, and uh, next thing I know, I'm getting nominated uh, by the president to be uh, the U.S. attorney. Obviously did a good job at that. Owens said, I'd like you to uh, be attorney general. And uh, I just, uh, as I say, uh, I never said I want to be this or I want to be that. I just want to do uh, something meaningful and purposeful. And if you work hard at it, opportunities arise. And, uh, you know, the last several times in my life, including running for uh, mayor, uh, basically my attitude is uh, what opportunity do I have right now? And I've always been lucky to have lots of opportunities. Um, has the best potential for helping me become a good ancestor, positively impacting my family, people immediately around me, and in some instances, the broader community. And, uh, you know, when I looked at running for mayor, uh, my wife and I decided this is a job that has the potential uh, to help uh, become a good ancestor. And so uh, that's, that's what drives me at this point. Uh, whenever I examine an opportunity, I'm thinking, how can I best best impact the lives of people close to me and, in some instances, the, the larger community? I like that because when you're looking for jobs, when you're looking for the opportunity, it's not completely centered around you. And a lot of great leaders, that's something that I've seen a lot is humility and a focus on impacting other people. So I definitely appreciate that. Well, my big advice, I get a lot of people. I just had some teenager the other day. I was speaking at a school, and they said, I want to be a United States senator. I always look them straight in the eye and say, get a job first. <laughs> uh, and then if you succeed in a business or a career, and it's with it's in the cards that you can, um, you know, spend a portion of your life in public service, take it. Um, uh, John Adams uh, had a great quote about that. Uh, uh, make sure that you always have the ability uh, to fall back on something else other than politics. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to be a very good politician because you're always going to be subject to, I mean, if that's your livelihood or whatever. Uh, I think what's been part of my success in politics, my wife and I have always understood that if I lose, we'll be financially better off and our lifestyle will be better off. And that's a pretty comfortable place to be. Mm -hmm. So is it in the cards for you? Um, is that something you're thinking about actively is um, whenever your uh, tenure as mayor is over, um, you want to move back into becoming a, a lawyer or working in the private sector? I think that's probably uh, likely. I don't think I will uh, uh, undergo the stress of a of trial lawyering like I did, uh, but I think I will probably affiliate with a law firm uh, probably uh, hold myself out for mediations, arbitrations, maybe corporate investigations, obviously help a uh, law firm bring in clients. And then I'd like, uh, I'm on uh, a couple of boards that if I wasn't in public office would be paying, including the Daniels Fund. And uh, I'd like to be on a couple of paying boards and you know, make a decent livelihood that way. Absolutely. And you definitely have a very diverse um, resume and experiences in uh, what positions you were in. But outside of being the mayor, um, what was the most uh, 
um, exciting job position for you to move into? What really got your gears going when you heard about it? Uh, you know, that's tough because I have been so fortunate. I have loved every job I had. I love being mm-hmm. district attorney. It was very close to the people. You know, people would call you and get those prostitutes or those drug dealers off my street corner. Uh, I love being the U.S. Uh, United States attorney. Uh, there, your clients are basically these uh, alphabet agencies of the federal government, but you can bring unbelievable resources to bear. I remember when uh, we decided to go after the executives of Quest. And, uh, you know, we needed to scan six million documents. And the next, you know, DOJ uh, brought in the resources and we did it in, you know, a week. Um, uh, th- that was very, very exciting. I love being attorney general for a, a, a good lawyer interested in public service. You can't find a better job. The diversity of it, you know, I was sitting in the front row. Uh, I, I not only uh, argued a case in the United States Supreme Court, but I was a plaintiff in one of the biggest cases in the history of the Supreme Court over the Affordable Health Care Act. And uh, just the amazing uh, experiences. So I, I really, uh, I think maybe when I sit down and write my memoirs, I'll probably identify a favorite job. But right now there's... <laughs> There's way too many of them. It's too tough to pick. <laughs> yeah. So for my own curiosity, um, can you walk us through what was going on in your head when you got that call from the office of or uh, George W. Bush himself about him wanting to appoint you as the U.S. Attorney of Colorado? Well, here's how it happens. Um, you know, uh, the White House reaches out. Uh, this is in the transition phase to somebody like, you know, uh, uh, Bush identifies uh, uh, Owens as a supporter and somebody that they ought to get some names from, from things like that. But in the meantime, you've cultivated relationships with the two U.S. senators, very important. At that time, it was Senator Allard and uh, Senator uh, Campbell, both Republicans, and I had uh, uh, spent a lot of time with them over the last several years. And, you know, they knew me well when uh, Owen said, hey, let's support Southers for a United States attorney. Uh, lots of letters went in. Uh, Bill Armstrong, the United States uh, uh, immediate uh, former United States attorney, was very much in my camp. Uh, and so I had a lot of support. All that support's coming into the transition committee. And, you know, they present, uh, here's the choices to the the president and the president says, "Yeah, um, uh, I met uh, George W. Bush several times during my tenure as uh, uh, U.S. Attorney, but uh, he didn't call me up like he would, like uh, if I was going to be the, uh, uh, Attorney General of the United States." Mm-hmm. Uh, that opportunity uh, slipped away when Mitt Romney didn't get elected president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Being the mayor of Colorado Springs, you're leading the government, but you're also trying to turn the ship of almost 500,000 people. So what are some of the biggest leadership lessons that you've learned in this position? Well, I'm I'm fortunate. You know, um, I brought years of uh, experience to this job, including leading a lot of organizations. And I've used every bit of that experience. And the toughest thing about uh, political leadership is you know, the, the type of political leadership that I think ought to take place is because of your, your unique perspective, your access to information and things like that, and this is how representative government works. You 
uh, are in a position to know more than the average person on the street about what needs to happen. Uh, but to the extent that that doesn't correspond with what they think ought to happen at that time, it becomes your job as a political leader to convince them what they ought to want <laughs> and uh, educate them about what they ought to want and then show them how they get what they ought to want. And a perfect example of that is you become mayor of Colorado Springs. I've got a, a billion and a half dollar infrastructure deficit. Uh, roads, which people cared about because they have to drive on them every day. And then I've got this huge deficit in stormwater, which has got us, you know, sued by the federal government, the state government, the city of Pueblo, all that kind of stuff. And the voters care less. So they had just voted in November of uh, 14 not to reinstate uh, stormwater fee. We're the largest uh, city in America without a stormwater fee. And uh, we've got all these legal problems. Uh, it becomes my job uh, to convince them. I, you know, I don't. I know. I know you don't think about. You think you care about stormwater, but you better start thinking about it uh, because uh, it's necessary for our health, safety, and welfare, and our downstream neighbors. And by the way, we're getting uh, uh, sued right and left, and that's going to cost us a whole lot of money. So you're going to have to deal with this one way or the other. Uh, it took me two years. Uh, but I went from 14% of the public thinking stormwater was a problem uh, to getting them to reinstate a stormwater fee in uh, 2017 by 54-46 uh, vote. That's tough, grinded out political leadership. Mm -hmm. So in the aspect of political leadership, um, you know, in today's political climate, both locally and nationally, there's a lot of you know, different catalysts and a lot of different arguments on the bipartisan sides. Um, so for a younger person who's newer to learning about politics and learning about how governments work, what kind of lens would you su suggest that they look at some things they hear about in the news and media? Um, how should they interpret things and what kind of perspective should they take on political issues? Well, first of all, uh, they ought to understand that politics is important. And I, I spend a lot of time talking to young people about this. Uh, people, uh, kids grow up today and everything's negative. Their parents, oh, all politicians are crooked and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the fact of the matter is that politics um, is not going away. It's very necessary. <laughs> it's how uh, we collectively allocate uh, public resources. Uh, and it's not just electing people to public office. It's how we build schools. It's how we build parks. It's how uh, uh, teenagers convince the city council to build a skate park at Memorial Park. They've never, you know, acknowledged that they're engaging in politics. But if they're down there asking the, the city council to build a skate park, that's raw politics, okay? <laughs> and so you have to uh, understand the broader perspective of it. And then the analysis becomes, is it working? Are we accomplishing things? And uh, I think... Uh, Objectively, you'd be hard-pressed to conclude that uh, the federal government's dysfunctional. Uh, it's not. Uh, let, let's look at the major issues. Uh, we're running unbelievable deficits. Uh, Two-thirds of our budget goes to entitlements. Uh, and uh, our, we have, we're totally incapable of dealing with uh, infrastructure like we did in the 1950s and creating a new interstate uh, system and things like that because of our uh, uh, entitlement spending. And nobody's doing anything about it. 
uh, we're not touching Social Security. We're not touching Medicare. We're not, uh, it's a it's a pretty dysfunctional uh, world we've got, and the uh, partisan politics. The I I, th- I would blame it on uh, our our congressional districtings become way too safe. There's very few competitive districts, and that unfortunately has developed in Colorado too. There's very few competitive districts, so uh, extreme people in, the, in each of the parties can uh, will typically win the primary because you have a very small, dedicated group of uh, voters on the Republican side. The primary voters are more to the right than the average Republican and the uh, uh, Democrat, farther to the left than the average Democrat. And you get uh, very, very polarized legislative bodies that uh, aren't very capable of things. Uh, on the other hand, uh, and you can have that on a city level. I can tell you a couple of cities. I think Aurora is about to buck into that highly, highly polarized thing. Colorado Springs, we're blessed right now. We've always got a few problematic personalities on our city council, always will have. Uh, but, you know, in the last uh, four and a half years, every single major issue, we've, we've been able to have at least a 6-3 to three vote, usually seven two eight one. Um, and uh, we're fixing streets, we're uh, doing stormwater, we're making some decisions that are very good for job creation and things like that. So it's pretty functional. And, uh, you know, the polls will tell us people have more trust in local government than state or federal, but you don't have to look at the polls, you just have to look at uh, the last week's uh, political results. Those same voters, the exact same voters who voted overwhelmingly against the state ballot CC issue voted overwhelmingly in favor of two local ballots, including a Tabor retention, which was the state one that they rejected. So they clearly have a much higher level of confidence than local government. And going in uh, parallel thought along those lines, um, in Colorado, uh, in Colorado Springs, um, you're seeing a widening gap between kind of the older population who usually fall along one political line versus a lot of the newer, younger people who are moving into the city. And I think that's great. this has great implications for uh, the private sector and managing uh, generational differences as well. But as the mayor, how do you manage those two different parties and how do you get them to work together on issues? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. And I would cite you know some issues like uh, bike lanes as a perfect example. Uh, it breaks down largely as a generational uh, issue. Most people over 55 hate them. Most people uh, <laughs> under 35 love them, and everybody in between is ambivalent. Um, and you just have to understand uh, it's a community of all people, and you try and do a balancing act. Um, the folks who uh, you know don't like bike lanes have to understand that uh, I need to attract about uh, 4,000 uh, millennials to Cairo Springs every year to become uh, software engineers, uh, cybersecurity experts, uh, functions that uh, are only in that age group. Uh, I can't be a cybersecurity person. I can't be a software engineer. Uh, I need to attract young people to those, and, and we're competing against Austin and the Bay Area and things like that. And so uh, we need to be a, a desirable climate in that respect. Um, on the other hand, uh, I'm shocked at how much momentum there is among young people towards uh, government can solve all our problems, whether it be health care or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's like these guys never went to school, never studied 
uh, you know, show me one country where socialism has worked. And of course, uh, and it doesn't. And they always tell me, well, that was bad socialism. And I said, well, trust me, it was sold as good socialism, you know. Uh, and so you've got to have a, a reality uh, uh, notion there. Uh, and then, of course, the bottom line is uh, in a city election, uh, we have a very young population. I think the average is about 33, 34. Uh, city election, the average voter is 59. Hmm. Uh, and I know you guys will encourage all your young people uh, to vote, but for the uh, and everybody does. But for the most part, they don't until they get vested. And vested means paying taxes, uh, property taxes, stormwater fees, and things like that. That's what causes uh, your kids going to school. Uh, you're figuring out whether you need better schools, all that sort of thing. Uh, that's what tends to uh, get people to vote. On your point of um, you know Colorado shift towards that kind of systems engineering, cybersecurity climate, it almost seems counterintuitive from the outside perspective. Colorado Springs is known for its you know natural beauty and natural resources. Um, as the mayor, is that shift something that seems like the logical progression to you, or did that come as a surprise on how? No, it's very logical. It's, it's a, a very desirable place to live. And young people, particularly today, where so many of them um, have a less of a detachment to a physical workplace, uh, they want to live in a highly desirable place. And uh, we've always done a pretty good job uh, in an era before you guys were ever around. Uh, we were a pretty hot commodity in high tech uh, in the uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then uh, so many of those jobs, and they're very high-paying, high-tech jobs. So many of those jobs went overseas or ceased to exist because of evolving technology, chips and things like that. And uh, so what, what I'm witnessing uh, right now is just a little more updated version of what Cower Springs has been through in the past. But it's a highly desirable place uh, for young people because not only do they get uh, a good job, uh, something they like to do, pretty high-paying job, uh, but uh, they get tremendous recreational opportunities. They get to bike, hike, uh, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. I do have a question that's a bit off the uh, beaten track here. So I was doing a bit of research, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you authored a couple books. Right? I have. I think <laughs> four, five, six maybe. I don't know. Okay. So one of the titles that actually popped up was uh, Fraud and Deceit, how to stop being ripped off. Right. Um, so what's the backstory behind that? How did that book come into existence? One of, the most, one of the most fun jobs I ever had was in charge of the Economic Crime and Consumer Protection Division of the District Attorney's Office. I'd been in the D, this is my first time around in the DA's office. I'd been there a couple of years. Robert Russell, the District Attorney, promoted me to Chief Deputy over about 20-some people with greater seniority, and he put me in charge of that division. And a guy named McGarry Shoup, who is an attorney here in town, uh, was uh, with me in that division. And we had the most fun uh, going after all kinds of scams and things like that. <laughs> and about a year or so into it, we said, you know, we ought to write some of this stuff down. Uh, so we did a book, wrote a book, and sent it around to publishers, and a uh, publisher called Arco uh, in New York City, uh, published it, and uh, we 
It was syndicated in the L.A. Times and a couple of other big newspapers. Uh, you know, we each made, I don't know, five dollars $6,000 off of it. Better than, you know, not much, but <laughs> at that time it was actually kind of fun. Uh, and uh, so that's what that book is. It's about 60 scams. And, and what's interesting to look back at it is... Uh, the scams don't change much. <laughs> they just take on kind of a higher tech aura. Hmm. Uh, the, the basic, you know, you're obviously exploiting people's greed, and uh, and that you know, all the human nature aspects of it don't change. It's just now, uh, you know, the guy can sit in Nigeria and rip you off, but basically doing it the same way that they used to have to do it more looking in your face, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's fascinating, uh, but human nature has not changed, I'll tell you that. So is there one uh, example that you experienced that either made you think, you know, how do people fall for this, or one uh, kind of scam that seems oh, really there's, interesting? there's incredible. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we had one uh, uh, fortune teller lady that I remember we did a grand jury investigation, and people would pay this lady, you know, 500 bucks to go out and do all kinds of stuff at their uh, deceased husband or wife's grave and all that kind of stuff and then tell the future. And uh, it's just the vulnerability and susceptibility of people is mind-boggling. And it's that way today. Interesting. So kind of coming back around, one of, I would say, most the most impactful aspects of your leadership and being a mayor is your presence in the community. I've seen you at countless events um, from nonprofits to galas, whatever it might be. What advice do you have for young people on just being present, being here now, going out into the community, talking with people? It's important. Now this, that, you know, in my case, I see that as part of my job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I obviously have, you know, I got to manage the department heads and I have a chief of staff that helps me with that. Uh, I've got to, you know, sign hundreds of contracts, all that kind of stuff. But uh, a big part of my job is out promoting the community in terms of economic development and things like that. And uh, if you're going to do the job, you can't get around it. And it's it's 80 hours a week, I will tell you that. Uh, it's at least six and a half days a week. And uh, most every evening, I'll leave here, probably go to two things. Uh, before I go home, and um, that's just what it is. But my advice for uh, young people would be to get out and become a part of the community, and uh, and and volunteer. Uh, one of the sad things I've noticed, uh, and I hope it's it's just kind of a different uh, mindset. But you know, our service clubs are disappearing off the face of the earth. Young people don't want to be in Kiwanis or Rotary and stuff like that. Uh, well, I'm hoping they'll find other avenues. Uh, and aren't won't be so obsessed on just you know, their own uh, hobbies and biking and hiking and stuff like that, but getting involved in the community uh, and giving back. Uh, it's very, very important, and it, frankly, it's a, it's good for your whatever your business interests are. It's good to be involved in the community, uh, and you you learn. Um, you know, I see people that. Uh, are involved in the chamber, and, and twice a month we go out to one of our local businesses, and uh, the chamber ambassadors are invited. And it's just fascinating what you learn about what's going on in Colorado Springs. I mean, uh, the average person has no idea 
you know, that the world's entire GPS system is run from Colorado Springs. They have no idea uh, that, uh, you know, 15 million cars have a software interface in their dashboard that's uh, uh, developed by a company in, in Colorado Springs. Uh, it's just, you know, getting involved is really very, very important. So a little bit of uh, career advice here. I have a lot of friends who are either going through law school or are, um, younger associates or first-year lawyers. Um, and it's kind of surprising because before, um, you know, taking their LSATs and everything, they talk to more uh, experienced attorneys. And it's surprising that they do get a lot of negative feedback as far as the um, industry and career. Um, how would you kind of respond to that and what kind of uh, viewpoint would you go into um, or would you explain to someone who's looking to start a career as a lawyer? Uh, I would say a couple of things. Uh, there are uh, too many lawyers, uh, but there's never enough uh, good lawyers. Um, uh, you know, I, I personally don't. Uh, the biggest mistake I ever thought the law did was when and I understand what the legal uh, when the appellate court said you couldn't uh, limit uh, lawyer advertising uh, I, I find most lawyer advertising shameful um, but it's First Amendment speech it's basically a protected commercial speech um, so I would not be discouraged just because there's a lot of lawyers out there uh, if you uh, think you can be good at one particular area uh, I have loved uh, my career in the law. Uh, uh, you know, and this is the first non-legal job I've had. All the other jobs I've had were uh, legal. He actually had to be a licensed lawyer, uh, with the exception of the Department of Corrections. Um, and I've loved every second of it. I think the law um, presents all kinds of opportunities. And one of the fascinating opportunities is you can actually get involved in public service as part of your work. I mean, there aren't many professions, uh, you know, where uh, it's your you gotta You got to have this professional background to be the district attorney. You have to have this professional background to be the U.S. attorney and things like that. And that's been fascinating to me. And, uh, you know, here I am at uh, this stage of my life. I, I've kept my license active and I do my CLE and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it still presents opportunities for me. So uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't be discouraged just because you hear a lot of attorneys say they uh, don't like what they do, but I would pay attention to what they do. Uh, you know, why don't they like it? <laughs> um, and uh, make sure uh, that you choose something that uh, uh, interests you and because and, ultimately it's all about enjoying what you do. Uh, I don't care how much money you make. If you don't enjoy what you do, uh, you're not going to be a, a very happy person. Uh, the other thing I would, uh, other piece of advice I would give is uh, uh, the law can be good training for a lot of different things other than just practicing law. And I've seen people, uh, I tell you, I think the city attorney would tell you, uh, I saved the city an awful lot of money <laughs> by being a lawyer. Uh, the, the city attorney has a lot of confidence that when they present, you know, the options to me, should we settle this case or not, uh, I'm going to make very sound decisions as a result of my legal background. Uh, and I, I could be more specific about that, but I, I probably shouldn't. So, <laughs> um, so that's what I would say. 
Uh, the other thing I would say to young people, um, uh, I used to teach classes at uh, CU, uh, UCCS, or at um, uh, DU Law School. And the last, I'd say, okay, and I've taught you about the law. Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to teach you about life. Uh, here's the most important things. Here's the key to happiness. Uh, number one, somebody to love. Uh, number two, something meaningful to do. Uh, number three, something to hope for. Uh, as long as you've always, uh, you know, I don't care if it's your dog or if it's your siblings or what, but you need to have uh, emotional uh, attachments to other human beings to be happy. Number two, uh, you have to have something meaningful to do, but your attitude towards it is 90% of whether it's meaningful or not. I mean, I run across people uh, who uh, have, on, by all appearances, relatively menial jobs, uh, but their attitude is, hey, this is important, I'm getting the garbage picked up on time, or I'm making money so that my kid can go to college, or whatever. You know, the, they produce their own meaning in the work. Uh, and then finally, uh, particularly for people who are older, uh, I think it's important to always have something to look forward to, you know, whether it's grandkids or uh, the next uh, bridge game or something like that. That's what yeah, always keeps them interest in life. So last question, and then we'll start wrapping it up. Um, I'm really curious with constantly working long hours, and I'm sure as in your different positions, that's kind of a theme, and you're involved with other things outside on top of balancing having a family as well. What things did you and do you do to recharge the times that you're not working? Well, uh, a couple things. First of all, when we had kids at home, their activities were very important. My wife worked outside the home. I worked uh, and had pretty important responsible jobs, but I'd walk out of some pretty important meetings to get to the kids' soccer game or something, and there was one of us was at every important function in their lives. That was very important to us. And so that in and of itself, I mean, I got a lot of relaxation from sitting there watching a, uh, a soccer game or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe not relaxation, especially when it was the you know state finals or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but today uh, I do a little exercise. I try and walk in Bear Creek Park or Strat Preserve at least once a week for several miles. I, uh, I, I do work out in the mornings if I don't have a breakfast meeting. I get up very early to do that. Uh, I'm a voracious reader, and regardless of how busy I am, I spend about a half hour before I fall asleep. And I'm always reading uh, typically American history or uh, typically a, a biography or an autobiography. Uh, people doing something well or not doing something well, and I think thinking in my mind, uh, am I learning anything from the mistakes of this person or the success of this uh, person? Uh, I uh, play golf. I'm not real good, but I'm good enough not to die of frustration. Uh, and um, I uh, have, through my uh, life, been kind of a, a baseball memorabilia collector. I've got, you know, uh, I used to pick up a pack of... Uh, bubble gum and on my way home from school every day and I think the ten dollars I spent over four or five years is now worth about fifteen thousand so that's one of the better investments I made <laughs> uh, so 
those are a few things that things I do. Uh, my wife plays golf, so it's something we can do together. Hmm. Uh, we've picked up pickleball, which is the new rage. Hmm. Uh, where the city of Colorado Springs now, I think, is about to have more pickleball courts than tennis courts because oh, of the demand. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to transition into a couple just quick bullet questions. Okay. Um, so recommend one book. Lord of the Flies, William Golding, How Civilization Can Go Wrong. And recommend one resource that's helpful for you in everyday life. A good news source. And this uh, is very important for young people. It ain't social media. Okay. Uh, I would encourage young people I know to read a, a paper. Uh, you don't have to do like I do. I like to feel it and all that kind of stuff. But uh, read a credible newspaper uh, every day. And uh, have a, a credible news source to stay on top of things. And by all, by all means, stay away from all the garbage uh, that fakes for news. Uh, uh, so, Do you have any recommendations on a good publication? Uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, actually, I think if you want to stay uh, uh, in tune with what's going on in Carl Springs, I think the Gazette does a pretty good job. Um, I think it's ownership under Mr. Anschutz. Uh, it's no longer the, you know, very libertarian newspaper it used to be. I think it's a pretty, and it's fairly supportive of the community, uh, which was not typical, not true of uh, freedom newspapers all the time. So, um, I, uh, I, I, I don't have any trouble with our local, uh, newspapers. Well, Mayor Southers has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So again, thank you for being here. Um, Share one parting piece of guidance, the best way to connect with you or your office, and we'll say goodbye. Uh, you can obviously call the mayor's office. The uh, phone number's uh, uh, readily available. Uh, you can email the uh, uh, mayor's office or, or me personally at www.jsouthers. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, jsouthers at springsgov.com. We obviously have websites. Uh, I got to admit, I don't personally look at uh, uh, Jay Southers at springsgov.com, but if there's something I need to look at, uh, they'll make sure I look at it. I won't give you my super secret uh, emails <laughs> and things like that. Uh, but there's a mayor's website. Uh, just, you know, uh, check Mayor Southers, and uh, uh, it's pretty informative. Uh, the city website, uh, anybody's interested in the city, uh, we have an open um, budget kind of thing that you can start with a large pie, pie chart and if you want to keep looking down you can find every check that the, uh, is issued by the city of Colorado Springs so if you're if you're a geeky person that wants to see how the city really works it's all there hmm. uh, at the city's website yeah I'll definitely have to check that out I remember hearing about that about the finances becoming a lot more transparent so oh yeah I definitely appreciate that yeah well, awesome again. Thank you for being on the podcast, Mayor Southers. This is John Mark. And this is Brent. Signing off. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It was a very weighty conversation. There was a lot of dense material. Um, Mayor Southers has a lot of wisdom and knowledge and experience, and I definitely appreciated that. And it was cool just hearing a little bit more about Colorado Springs, since I love this city, but also in general how government works on a more local municipal level. And I really enjoyed just hearing his backstory because 
so much of the time when you think of a major politician, you see them as this monolithic figure and just see them as this kind of pillar in the community. And you never really get to know how they got to where they are and a little bit more of the personal side. But I always enjoy listening to Mayor Southers talk uh, just because, you know, whatever uh, side of the political spectrum you fall on, he always has an attitude of let's do good for the community and the people around us. Let's get out of the way of all the messy things in politics and let's just build something better. From that aspect, one of the primary things that I took away is the humility that is necessary to be successful and to be in leadership. Because when he is looking for all his jobs, like he talked about, he wasn't looking at himself as much as he was looking at how can I impact others. Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for another episode of Attitude Check. And like us on Facebook um, to stay up to date on all things Attitude Check. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast hosting platform, because let's face it, you know you want to. And make sure you're following us on all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, as well as our new blog. And you can find links to those in the description in the show notes. And if you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out, and we love the feedback. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time. This episode of Attitude Check is brought to you by Altus Professionals. In the business world, first impressions matter. That's why you want to make sure that you're ready when you meet that person who's going to help take you to the next level. They're going to mentor you, help start your company. You want to make sure your style game is on point so you make the right first impression. So if you're in the market for stylish yet affordable men's professional accessories, I'm talking sunglasses, watches, tie clips, ties, dress socks, you name it. Head to altus-professionals, that's A-L-T-U-S-professionals.myshopify.com and make sure you use the promo code ATTITUDE10 for 10% off your entire purchase. They're already really affordable, but make sure you use that promo code to get that extra 10% off. Again, that's altus-professionals.myshopify.com, promo code ATTITUDE10. Make sure you check them out, folks. In today's world, it's critical to have a beautiful custom-designed website to take your business to the next level. So if you're a small business in Colorado, and if you need a website that stands out, check out Pikes Peak Web Design. Pikes Peak Web Design is the easiest way to get an amazing website designed for your business. Don't worry about the hassle of creating it yourself, and work with a local team of experts who's going to walk you through each step of the website design process and make things nice and simple for you. They built our website, let them build yours. Check them out at pikespeakwebdesign.com.